This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I want to write three words up here. If you come to church here often, you will know all three of these words. What do you think they are? Connect. What's the next one? Develop. And what's the last one? Serve. All right. Now, you might think that those are linear. In other words, you come to church, and the first thing you do is you get connected with God. It takes a while to get really connected with God in a meaningful way, but once you get connected with God, then somehow you can begin to develop out of that connection with God. And so you say, okay, I can kind of sort of check this one off of my list, and I can move down to this one. And so you join a life group, which is our principal developed strategy in the church. And in the life group, you, you start applying the teachings that we give you day after day after day or Sunday after Sunday here. And you notice it begins to change your life because you're living differently. And so now you think, okay, I'm in the developed thing. I can check that off of my list. And of course, as, as I learn and grow and develop as a follower of Christ, I begin to realize that I should be involved in service and doing things that selflessly serve other people because that's what mature Christians do. And so you move on down into service. Can I tell you that there's a sense in which that's true, but there's also a sense in which these are all together. Because here's what happens. When you come to church and you begin to connect with God, an amazing thing happens. He begins to change your heart, just like the song we sang, from the inside out, and you have a desire to serve. And so you find a place, and you begin to serve, and as you serve, you realize that you want your connection with God to grow even deeper than it is now. And so you connect, you serve, you connect, and, and, and you get involved and develop. And the more that you get developed as a Christian, the more you want to serve and the deeper you want your connection to be with God. And so these things are not just linear, they're interrelated. In fact, they are two words that are quite popular right now. They are symbiotic, which means that they sort of feed off of each other, and they are synergistic, which means that when you that the sum of all of them to, to, together is is greater than if you were to sum them up individually, it, it, it's just a great thing. And so this morning I want to talk with you about this. I want to talk with you about serve and and more strategically I want to talk to you about the engine that drives that. Because if you have no engine that drives you to serve, will you serve? Probably not. So I want to write down four words that are possible engines for service. And I know you're familiar with every one of them. The first is guilt. Okay? The next is need. The next is love. And the last is compassion. I want to teach you something about each one of those. Because each is an engine that will drive us to serve, but each has its own strengths and its weaknesses, okay? 
guilt. Here's what you need to know about guilt. It motivates us to serve, but not very well and not for very long. Have you noticed that? You come to church, you listen to a message, you turn on the TV, you see a a commercial, and all of a sudden you feel guilty, like somehow I'm not doing my part. I'm not really drawn to this, but I don't like feeling guilty about not doing this. And so what you end up doing is you end up giving token service for a short period of time, but somehow it helps you feel better because at least you can say, I checked that off my list, I did that, that, that can't bug me with guilt anymore. Motivation gets a little stronger when we go down to need. When we're truly touched by need, we see a need. Well, need motivates us oftentimes to serve well, because we genuinely want to help someone in need, But if it's only a need that we have observed and we look around and we say, somebody should do something about this and nobody's doing anything, okay, I guess I will. Well, you'll jump in and you'll serve and you'll typically serve much better than someone who's only motivated by guilt, but you still won't stay with it very long because there's no real passion in it. You move on down the scale and you get to love. Love is a very, very strong motivator. Love will motivate you to do what guilt and need never will. Very strong motivator. But the thing about love is it motivates us. It'll drive us to selfless service. But oftentimes what we give isn't all that effective. In other words, we'll take it out of the human realm. We'll put it in the animal realm. Here's someone that just, oh my goodness, here's a puppy, and they just love that puppy. And, 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 you know, so, okay, they even feel a little guilt because the puppy hasn't been treated very well, and they see a need, and they've fallen in love with the puppy, and they bring the puppy into their home, and, and they're eating a chocolate candy bar, and the puppy wags its tail, and because they love the puppy, they're going to share the candy bar with the dog. Good idea, bad idea. Bad idea. Oh, love will motivate you to selfless service, but sometimes the service you give isn't really what's needed. And in fact, it may actually turn out to be harmful, though it's given purely out of love and, 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 and everything above. This morning I want to take us all the way down to compassion. Because compassion, believe it or not, is deeper in some regards than love. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give you the definition of the word compassion. Compassion literally comes, the original word that was written, that your Bible was translated from, the original word in the Greek, the original language of the Bible, means a turning in the gut. In other words, it's a visceral response to the condition of another person. Have you ever gotten so deeply touched, deeply motivated, deeply drawn into a situation that it woke you up in the middle of the night and your gut was just churning.
It's down here. It's not just up here. It's not just here. It gets you all the way down here. Friend, when you get touched all the way down to your gut, and it won't leave, that's the passion. That's the engine that will drive you to serve and to do things no one else could get you to do. But you will do them and you will be happy in doing them and you will consider it a privilege to do them and you will invest your life in it. Now before I teach you about that and illustrate that out of the life of Jesus, I want to talk to you a minute just about the title. The title of this message is Compassion in a Jaded World. The title of this sermon series is Risk It. And if you look at the graphic up at the top right corner of your, of your message notes, you'll notice that there's a whole bunch of people that look all alike and there's one who dares to be different. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's the one red block in the middle of our Rubik's Cube up there. The one that dares to be different. Because I will tell you, number one, it's very easy to get jaded in this world. And I want to tell you that the older you get, the easier it is to get jaded. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, a bunch of old people don't want to say anything, all right? Okay? The older you get, the easier it is to get jaded. Why? Because you run into people that, that have breaches in integrity. And we live in this world where everybody has a spin on everything. And nobody wants to be a really straight shooter. And you run into people who take advantage of other people. And every time you go to help them, they just take you to the bank. And they'll take you for everything you're worth. And, and they'll keep taking as long as you'll keep giving. And, 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 and pretty soon, you get to the point where you say, I'm not doing anything for anybody. Because I'm tired. I'm tired of people just living off of me. You know, I feel like I'm a sucker. Well, I want to address that this morning. Because Christ calls us to go against the flow of our culture and to risk it. And he, and he calls us and challenges us to be people of great compassion in a world that often doesn't deserve it. And might not even appreciate it. The message that I have for all of us this morning is a very simple one. We're going to take a look at Christ who personified compassion. And then we're going to take a look at three things that compassion requires of us. So let's jump into this. Jesus is compassion personified. Let me read you three passages that, uh, out of many out of the life of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he what? He had compassion can circle or underline that word compassion. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were helpless. They were confused. They were like sheep wandering out in the meadows with wolves lurking all in the bushes. And they were like sheep with no shepherd. And he looked at them and, and it didn't get him in his head. It didn't get him in his heart. Where did it get him? Come all the way down to his gut. It turned on the inside of Jesus. Scripture number two, moved. You know what that word moved means? It means he had the engine. Ready? Moved with compassion. 
Jesus reached out and touched them. We're going to come back and take that scripture in just a few minutes. And then Luke chapter 7, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart what? Overflowed with compassion. Have you ever had your heart overflow with compassion? It's touching. Move you to tears. I mean, it'll make your knees weak when you get hit with real, genuine compassion. It's the engine that drives us to be what Christ calls us to be. So what does that look like in Jesus' life? I I put a list of people there in your notes, and I just want to briefly touch on them. I'm going to kind of fly through this. I'll try not to leave anybody behind that doesn't know the Bible well. But um, let me walk you through this list of people. At the upper left, there's a Samaritan woman. Jesus ran into a lady one day. She had been married five times, and she was currently living with a man that she was not married to. Think she might have been a little jaded in life? What do you think? Oh, yeah. And yet Jesus interacted with her in a kind, loving, and deep and thoughtful manner. Second person up there is Nicodemus. He was kind of the opposite of this Samaritan woman. Nicodemus was one of the most respected and esteemed religious leaders in the entire country. And he came to Jesus at night because he was afraid. And yet Jesus interacted with him and and talked with him and ministered to him much in the same way as he did this poor woman who had been married five times and was living with a guy she wasn't even married to. The widow from the city of Nain. We don't even know her name. But as Jesus was just passing by the city, he saw a funeral procession coming out of the city. And he looked over there and and he saw it was a woman and and she was a widow. She had no husband. She had no other children. She had only one son and her young son had died at an early age. And Jesus knew in their culture it meant for her a life of begging and living alone. That was not okay for him. Without speaking a word, he walked up. He touched the coffin, stopped the procession, and I'm sure there was an awkward moment there. No one in the crowd knew him. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Jesus reached in, took him by the hand, lifted him out, and gave him to his mother. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Three very wealthy people, the opposite of the widow. These would have been very wealthy people who were Jesus' friends. And yet on numerous occasions, Jesus sat in their home, ate at their table, but ministered to them, taught them, and even raised Lazarus from the dead. The adulterous woman. One day, Jesus was in the temple courtyards and a group of angry religious leaders came dragging in a woman, literally dragging her in. They threw her down in front of Jesus and says, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? Probably not too many of us in this room have ever stared into the eyes of a person who knows they're about to be killed. But I can imagine it's terrifying. Jesus looked at her. He looked at the religious leaders. Most of us know what he did. Remember? 
he took a stick and he stooped and he began writing in the sand and he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all left. Jesus took her by the hand, lifted her up and said, ma'am, I want you to go your way, but don't do that again. You can live better than that. Jairus. He was the president of the local synagogue and his 12-year-old daughter lay on her deathbed. And by the time Jesus got to the house, she had died. He went in, spoke a few words over her, raised her from the dead, gave her back to her parents. Phoenician woman. Jesus was even out of the country. The only time in his lifetime that he was out of the country as an adult. And he encountered a lady who was not even from his hometown or home country. And, and, and she had a servant who was, who was just who was terribly sick. And Jesus healed. Roman army commander. These were people who hated the Jews. Who tormented them. And held them in slavery. And while Jesus was teaching one day, a man came up and said, Sir, I'm the servant of a Roman commander. And one of my fellow servants is sick. And the commander asks that you would speak the word and his servant would be healed. And Jesus interrupted his teaching to heal the servant of what would be the equivalent of a slave driver in their culture. Zacchaeus, lying, cheating, Stealing, swindling tax collector. Jesus went and ate at his house. Forgave him. Changed his life. Lepers. People that no one would touch. We're going to talk about them in a minute. Jesus reached out and touched them. Changed their lives. Children. When people said, get these little kids out of here. Remember, last week we dedicated some babies and I read you this passage and Jesus was angry with the people who were chasing the kids away. Why? Because even kids deserve compassion. Mary Magdalene, a famous lady in Scripture, but she didn't start out all that famous because there's one little Scripture in there that says, and Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus had cast out seven Demons. Now, what do all these people have in common? Well, they have two things. Number one, they were all people who interrupted Jesus' life. Don't you love to be interrupted? You're on the way to do something that's really important, and somebody comes up, grabs you by the arm, and the next thing you know, you're not doing what was on your to-do list for that day. Right? You're going to do something else. Every single one of these people interrupted Jesus' to-do list. But they were just people Jesus encountered along the way of living his life. And they were people that he ministered to with compassion. Now Jesus chose 12 followers and he basically said to them, I want you to learn to live like I live. Isn't that the same message he gives us today? That we would become followers of Christ? I was at a t-ball game yesterday. Isn't that fun? Yeah. And I was visiting with one of the mothers, and she said, you know, it's hilarious. Whenever they hit the ball, there's this big mass of bodies that goes over there. Eventually, one kid comes out with a ball. 
She said, you should have seen him the first day we had a game. It was, and, and, and the coach was showing them how to run the bases. So he got them all in a line and said, I want you to do exactly what I do. And so they ran to first base and he touched first base. And then he started going to second base. And somehow the kid right behind him didn't get it right. He went to first base and jumped over it. Guess what every kid behind him did? Every single base they got jumped over the base. And the next base jumped over the base, you know, all the way home, jumped over home. And why? Well, they at least knew what follow the leader meant. Now, the 12 didn't get it quite so easily. Take a look. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening the disciples came to him and they said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away. So they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said what? You see any difference between Jesus and the disciples? Big difference. You know, you know what, what I think was driving the disciples? Because what's the subject that seems to be on their minds? Food, right? Yeah, I'm guessing they were hungry and they were ready to eat. But who was standing between them and food? The crowd. So what was their solution? Get them out of here? But they knew better than to say to Jesus, Could you send the people away because we're hungry? They knew that would never fly. So you know what they did? They put a little different spin on it. You know, Jesus, we really love these people. And look at them. Don't they look so hungry? You know, if you really loved them, you would send them away so they could go get some food, right? Jesus wasn't fooled. He looked right at his followers and said, Hey, I have an idea. How about you feed them? Hmm. Compassion. Jesus had it here. They didn't have it there. You know what they had here? Donuts, or lack of them. Yeah, big difference. I want to tell you three things, and I know you can remember this outline. It's a really easy outline to remember, and we'll move through them relatively quickly, but each one is very powerful, so I want you to take time to absorb. Okay? There are three things that compassion is going to... Oh, yeah, I have a couple of things here to say to you. Number one, here's the passage. You must be compassionate. Must. Underline the word must. You must be compassionate. Why? Because your Father is compassionate. Here's the deal. We're to be like God. We're to be like Christ. Must means that this is a command. It's not an option. But right away, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, you're talking about a feeling that I get in my gut. I can't command a feeling. And that's principle number two. Feelings can't be commanded. But here's what I want you to know, and this is vitally important. You need to know that you can choose to develop feelings. And if you don't have the feelings of compassion, then it's because you haven't chosen to develop them. Because they, it's quite possible to develop. Now the three words that I want to take you to. Okay, Three things that compassion requires of us. Number one, it requires that we reach. I told you I was going to come back and revisit this passage about the lepers. So take a look. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus begging 
to be healed. In Jesus' day, when you, when you acquired leprosy, it was the sentence of death. There was no cure for it. Eventually, your, your extremities would rot and fall off, and, and the disease would eventually hit some vital organ, and you would die. But it was worse than the sentence of death, because from the moment you were diagnosed with, a, with leprosy, you were not allowed to live with your family, you were not allowed to live in society, you had to go to a leper's camp, and any time someone came within 50 yards of you, you had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that you would not accidentally expose them to the kiss of death that you had. It was a lonely, sad. It was just terrible. This man came and knelt in front of Jesus. Do you see any desperation in him? Do you get the idea he might have been within the 50-yard barrier? He was. He knelt in front of Jesus and he begged. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. You know, probably for the first time since he was diagnosed, this man actually had some hope. And he knew it was Jesus. Now notice what Jesus did. Moved with compassion. Was that engine working in Jesus? It was. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out. There's the reach. You can circle that word. Jesus reached out and touched him. Here's what I want you to see. Okay? Compassion requires us to get in the same space with others. I want to go back to the story of the dog. And you fall in love with this little dog that hasn't been treated very well and so forth. And, 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 and you're eating a candy bar and the dog obviously wants a bite of it. But you know something? If you do more than love the dog, if you have taken the time to get into the same space with the dog to learn what dogs need, what they don't need, what's good for them, how they respond, what might hurt them. If you take the time to get, really get into the dog's world, do you know what choice to make with a candy bar then? Yeah, you do. Because now you're beyond love. You're actually into compassion. The greatest illustration I can give you is that when God looked down from heaven to earth, and he saw our sinful condition, and he saw how bound by sin we were, and how destructive sin was in our lives. Did he love us? Yeah, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. But what did God do? Are you with me? Did he get in our space? He did. He left heaven, he came to earth, as a human being, so he could feel everything you feel, everything I feel. See, when we get real compassion, we don't just throw food at a leper and say, God bless you. We don't just throw a little money at some cause and say, thank God, that's not me. I sat with a man this week who just returned from Haiti a country that right now has 60 to 70% unemployment. Can you imagine? I can't, even, I can't even grasp those figures. A country where 60 to 70% of the people go around begging and scrounging for their next meal. 
where one out of nine people in the country is homeless. We we can't imagine that. Yeah. You know why? He wants to go back. Why would he want to go back? Because compassion drives us to get in the same space with people, not just throw a few a a few bucks and not just give a casual visit but to come and live get in the space so that's the first if we will be compassionate it's important for us to reach the second thing is if we will be compassionate it's important for us to run This is a story that virtually everyone knows. It's the story of the prodigal son, the guy that took his inheritance from his dad, went out and wasted it and just made a mess out of his life and then said, oh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get right with my father. Here's what the Bible says. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and what? Compassion. He, what's the next word? He ran to his son. And embraced him and kissed him. I want you to understand compassion creates in us this sense of running to people, this eagerness to help. It's not just, oh, what do I think I should do? Well, that's a little bigger check than I really like to write out, but after all, these people are really in need. No, no, no. When you get touched in your gut, there's an eagerness to help. There's a desire to help. And it fuels you in your soul. And you run and embrace people at their point of need, at their point of struggle, just like this father did. It's just a great eagerness to help. The third word is the word risk. Writing of Jesus, John says he came into the very world he created and the world didn't even recognize him. And then he, went, he goes on to say it in, a, in an even stronger language. He came where? To his own people and how did they respond? And even they rejected him. You see, real compassion causes us to risk rejection. It causes us to risk misunderstanding, and it causes us to risk even sacrifice. And friends, Jesus did all three for us. And He calls us to do the same thing for people around us, many of whom do not even value what we do. Was was Jesus rejected? I heard a pastor say one time, He didn't exactly die at a popularity contest. Yeah, that's the ultimate of rejection when they kill you. Was he misunderstood? Oh, no one was ever misunderstood more than Jesus. No one ever loved more than Jesus. No one ever had more compassion than Jesus had. No one ever lived perfectly. And yet in spite of all of it, he was killed because they thought he was a criminal who was selfishly motivated. That's misunderstanding to the max. And what about sacrifice? No one ever sacrificed more than Jesus did. But even as he hung on the cross, was he jaded? Yes or no? Was he jaded? No. What did he pray? Father, forgive them, 
They don't know what they're doing. As we close, I want to read you a couple of quotes. Rob Bell once said, and I believe this with all of my heart, the church is at its best when it gives itself away. Do you believe that? Absolutely. It is at its best. C.S. Lewis said it like this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Be compassionate to anyone, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly even broken. The only place, listen to this, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of compassion is hell. Take a while, take a while for that to, to sink in. But right away you say to me, Pastor, what difference can one person make? Suppose I turn compassionate today. What difference does that make? Well, I want to ask you, what's the power in a snowflake? Is it powerful? No, every single person in this room could crush a snowflake between your, your, your thumb and your index finger and, and do it effortlessly. There's no power in a snowflake. But if you put a few million of them together, they can grind any city in the world to a halt. Isn't that true? Yeah. And Jesus challenges us to be one of millions. Ian Watson wrote of our world, We live on a contaminated planet. It is contaminated on every level. It should have been quarantined from heaven. No reasonable God would go near it with a ten-foot pole. But Jesus is no reasonable God. He became a human being, took on your uncleanness and mine, but instead of the world infecting him, he infected the world. And his, you got to get this play on words, immaculate infection is still spreading today. Aren't you glad Jesus did that? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.